You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 103rd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 452nd edition overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, December 6th, 2018, and it is dedicated to Stu Schweisberger, IU class of 1953, a lifelong IU fan who passed away recently, but who left us feeling optimistic that Archie Miller is the right man for the IU job. Rest in peace, Stu. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. This week's banner moment occurred at the 8.42 mark of the first half of Indiana's victory over Penn State, when Lamar Stevens made a jumper for the Nittany Lions, drawing Penn State to within one at 13-12. And what was notable about this basket was that it was Penn State's first field goal since a three-pointer at the 16-14 mark had extended the Lions' early lead to 9-0. In other words, after falling into a big early hole, Indiana held Penn State without a field goal for 7 minutes and 32 seconds, and in the meantime, turned the early deficit into a 13-10 lead. And sure, the two threes by Devontae Green were huge, and Romeo had started to get himself going by that point, but what turned the tide in this game was not Indiana's offense, but its defense. Past Indiana teams would have had to shoot their way back into the game and essentially be at the mercy of whether shots were falling or not. But this Indiana team, despite all of its flaws and imperfections, now knows that it can lean on a defense that has become one of the nation's most consistent and reliable in only Archie Miller's second season. On Tuesday night, Indiana's defense gave its offense the time and space it needed to grind its way back into a tough road game. And once the Hoosiers snatched control of the game away from Penn State, they didn't give it back. Yes, the offense needs to improve and find more rhythm. But remember that we are no longer a program that is rudderless when the offense sputters. Tuesday night was further proof of that, and the result was an important road win and a 2-0 start in the Big Ten. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Jason Garrett of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He's the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and he is one of the world's most respected veteran bracketologists. Look up Bracket Matrix. You'll see Andy has been on the top of the list of the veterans. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line from the last week in IU basketball? No, Jason Garrett, that's offensive. He's hot, um, man. He's on fire right now. How dare, how dare you, Eagles fan? I should just be quiet and not even say anything. Uh, no, I mean, so, uh, you know, like you said, you know, 2-0 start to the Big Ten. Uh, it, we, we talked last week about how important this four-game stretch was and, you know, halfway through it at this point, and I used 2-0. So uh, it, it, you certainly can't do any better than that. Uh, the wins were, um, you, you know, ugly and, and beautiful kind of at the same time, trying to, uh, you know, find different ways to win. Uh, in the midst of you know Juwan Morgan being injured, coming back to win, uh, win one of them, 
uh, you know, kind of holding on for dear life at the end of the Penn State game. But the reality is, you know, they're one of, I think, only five teams that are 2-0 and in the Big Ten at this point after these first couple games. And uh, and they, you know, the, the chance to go 4-0 in this key stretch that we've talked about so much uh, heading into it is still alive. So uh, those things are all positive, and I think it all, in a lot of ways, circles back to the defense, the things that you said. Uh, I know you guys talked about this on podcast on the brink, but Alex had some really, you know, really impressive stats about how uh, IU had done defensively on a per possession basis, limiting everybody but Duke to uh, under one point per possession, and so many opponents being the you, you know lowest or, or second lowest output that they've had over the course of the season. So, I think you're at least as, as you start to you know look at what this team's identity might be. That's finding and defining what this team does well and what they hang their hat on has been a pretty big challenge over the last handful of years. It, it feels like, and so. Um, the defense certainly is shaping up to be this team's calling card and hopefully the offense comes along as, as guys continue to get healthy and the rotation works itself out. But, uh, a positive start to the big 10 season, uh, albeit in a couple of, uh, a couple of nail biters. But, um, you know, I think if we've learned anything from these first couple, uh, you know, rounds of big 10 games, it's that there are going to be very few, if any games that are not going to be nail biters at this point. And to my right, he is a columnist for the big lead and a co-host for the hangover. And in case you're new to the show, here is the single most important thing that you need to know about him. He loves cereal. Regular Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios. As a kid, I love Frosted Flakes. Frosted Mini Wheats are always good. I enjoy a good Rice Krispies. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant this week? Uh, well, of course, it's going to be about the cereal aisle at the grocery store. No, uh, I, I think that a lot of people were negative about the win over Penn state. And, and I watched it back and I get, there are some negatives there. The last five minutes, the offense did not look good. They didn't come out great in the first five, but there was a solid 30 minutes there where IU was running circles around Penn state for the most part. And I think that people need to understand that this is a very young team playing its first big 10 road game. It's not always going to be pretty and it's not always going to look like amazing, you know, blowout, victory that we can all just feel great about everything that's not the way this works that's not the way college basketball works i mean there are very few i mean look uh, gonzaga who's the number one team in the country and has played as well as anybody this year barely won at home last night and had to get a, a last second shot from Hachimura to do it that's college basketball right now there's a lot of parity and there's a lot of parity within the big 10 and these teams are a lot closer than i think that everybody believes they are uh, and thought they would be at the beginning of the season. We've seen that throughout the first couple games of the Big Ten. It's also we're playing Big Ten games in the first week of December. These teams are still trying to figure out their identities, still trying to mesh with each other. And Indiana on its own is behind the eight ball there because of the injuries they've had. I mean, McRoberts was starting uh, to be at the beginning of the year. Devontae Green looked like he was going to be the starting point guard. Those guys were out and they're not playing starters minutes right now. That's just a... a you know, a symptom of what's been going on with the team injury wise. Eventually, I think that they will sort of gel and settle in. And that's sort of what uh, these, you know, sort of what December is supposed to be for. And now with the new Big Ten schedule, you don't really get a chance to do that. So we're going to see them play on Saturday into Louisville, then have a couple, uh, then have Butler and then have a couple games that they hopefully can get more in the flow of things before we open up uh, Big Ten season. But this schedule is rough, and we knew it was going to be rough early. And quite frankly, to be 7-2 and two right now, uh, I don't care how you do it, to be 7-2 and two right now is a positive, especially considering one of those losses at Arkansas they kind of got screwed on a late call. And, you know, they could have had they could have a road win at Arkansas. 
so this this team could very easily be eight and one uh, with that. And the loss to Duke's the only real bad one there. So uh, I think yeah, they haven't played up to their potential yet. But it's December; they're not supposed to be playing up to their potential yet. All right, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We'll do a quick Big Ten reset. Then we're going to talk about Clifton Moore. He's been a hot topic of conversation since the Penn State game. Did his seven minutes versus Penn State make it clear that he deserves more time moving forward? We'll dive into that. And then, as we always do, we will answer your questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk real quick about mattresses. I just want to go lay in bed. Because the presenting sponsor of Assembly Call Radio, Comfort Option, is literally all about mattresses. Comfort Option is based in Indianapolis, run by IU grads and fans, and they have over 65 years of experience in crafting top-quality mattresses. And if you live in or around Indianapolis or Bloomington, you can take advantage of their revolutionary mattress store-to-your-door service. Comfort Option will literally bring the mattress store to your home and custom design a mattress for you right there on the spot based on your preferences. You just have to schedule the appointment. On a Saturday? Yes, you can even schedule on a Saturday. And if you live outside into your Bloomington, you can go to comfortoption.com and order their highly reviewed alpha mattress, which they produce in-house and ship directly to you anywhere in the U.S. So basically, you save a bunch of money by cutting out the middleman. I mean, those guys do suck, quite frankly. They do. That's why you want to cut them out. And here's something really cool. Comfort Option is giving us four of their awesome season tickets to the upcoming Pacers-Hornets game on Sunday, January 20th to use for a contest. So if you want to see Victor and Cody play, all you have to do is order a mattress from Comfort Option between now and Friday, December 14th, and use the promo code ASSEMBLY when you check out, either online if you're ordering the Alpha or in person with the rep who brings the mattress store to your door. Not only will you get $50 off your purchase, but you'll be entered into the drawing for the tickets. On December 15th, we'll pick two winners, each of whom will get two tickets, and then we'll send them to you immediately so you can use them as Christmas presents if you want to. Pretty cool, right? My life has totally changed. So again, go to comfortoption.com, order your alpha mattress, or schedule your in-home mattress store service, and then use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $50 off your purchase and be entered into the drawing for the Pacers Hornets tickets. Thank you. Okay, uh, let's do, before we start talking Clifton Moore, let's do a quick Big Ten reset here, uh, Andy, because, you know, as you said, there's, you know, Indiana's one of, what, five teams that are 2-0, and and I found that interesting when I looked at this, that, you know, after this first set of games, you know, kind of the, the clear delineation that we thought, you know, might happen with the first four or five teams, it's kind of happened. You know, you got Indiana, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan, <clears throat> all at 2-0, and then uh, Purdue, uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, Maryland, all right behind them at 1-1. One and one. Um, So what do, you know, as you kind of look at these first two games, what did we learn about the conference from other than, as you said, you know, every game is, seems like it's going to come down to the wire this year? Yeah, I mean, that, that really was as big a takeaway for me as anything. As, as invincible as Michigan had looked at times, uh, and it was kind of the same way, you know, IU – you know, squeaking out a win over Northwestern. I think, you know, similar to what Ryan said about the Penn State game, people weren't really happy about it. And, and there were reasons not to be, um, you know, but they gave Michigan all they could handle on, uh, I guess, whatever. I think it was after the IU game. Maybe it was it was Tuesday night. Uh, you know, so there are no nights off. Even Iowa that's 0-2 had played really well up to that point. They had a really tough schedule with, you know, playing Wisconsin at their place and then going to Michigan State and kind of ran into a buzzsaw there. Um and, and, you know, Minnesota's been up and down. I thought they, you know, really came back and, and played well on an emotional night for them against Nebraska in a game that it seemed like Nebraska had, had started to take control of and uh, and really came back. So 
uh, I mean, I think that's really the biggest thing. And it, it reinforces a lot of what we've talked about just in terms of, you know, quality wins. You referenced the, the, the Ken Palm tier A games uh, that'll be there in the Big Ten. I, I think that, you know, virtually every game is um, is going to be close. But, you know, all those give you a chance for quality, quality wins, whether those be at home or on the road. Um, you know, Rutgers and Illinois seem to be, you know, kind of far and away the uh, the lowest at this point. But I mean, the, the Pomeroy projections have, I think, you know, between eight and twelve, and twelve and eight, looks like probably about nine teams. I want to say at this yeah. point, now that doesn't reflect the uh, the Maryland and Purdue games. But you know, I, I think I, I think being a team, as I talked about in the open, that really is playing well defensively will serve you well. Hopefully, that you know continues to travel as as things get better offensively. And like feels like over the course of time, you've seen the teams that are really solid on that end of the floor. Uh, are able to you know sustain the ups and downs and the and the challenging games that are are sure to come over the course of the uh, over the course of things. But yeah, it is kind of funny. I mean, those you know five teams that are two and zero, you know maybe Nebraska is the team that's looked the best outside of that that isn't two and zero. But in, in a lot of ways, you know the Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin for sure uh, have kind of felt like the three teams that have actually played the best. So that you know bears itself out in the standing so far. It's just interesting how the schedule kind of fell out that those teams that we thought would kind of be toward the top, none of them played each other. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. they all kind of had that chance to go 2-0. and Ryan, yeah, any thoughts really get, on... We didn't really get to answer any any serious questions yet, but um, I think that's actually good for the league because, um, you know, these early conference games, I don't like them. I don't think any of us like them and, and, and don't like how the conference season is now starting in early December. And you don't want some of your best games to happen when teams are still trying to figure it out. I want to see the top teams play each other when they're in the middle of their season, they're warmed up, they're on campus with all their students and it's a crazy atmosphere. And it just doesn't feel like that's where we're at right now. So I, I, I you know, I'm kind of glad that none of the big teams have faced each other yet. I want to really see these teams play each other when, uh, when they're ready to play each other. Yep. All right. Any, uh, any final thoughts on the big 10 Andy before we, move on i mean from a bracketology perspective it certainly looks like they're shaping up to to potentially have as many teams in the tournament as anybody um maybe double what they had last year yeah probably at least um just because they've they've fared so well uh in non-conference play in general there's a, a handful of teams that still have you know maybe one big game left so a chance to even improve upon that a little bit more you got you know michigan state goes to florida uh, who hasn't looked particularly good wisconsin goes to marquette iu louisville um, you've got, you know, the, the crossroads are pretty plain Notre Dame. They haven't been great. I was playing Iowa state as we, uh, as we record this. And I think Nebraska has got Creighton over the weekend too. So you've got, you know, for as well as the league has played, I think they've got even additional opportunities to really separate themselves. And, uh, when you think about, you know, how the team played, uh, or how the conference fared last year is a pretty huge difference. Yep. All righty, uh, coming up here on the Assembly Call, let's talk about Clifton Moore, who made a few big plays to help IU's cause against Penn State. Should he become a regular part of the rotation, get more minutes? We're going to discuss that next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call.
Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts, chat mobbers, or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel. You will be privy to all of the between segment banner that might not make it into the radio show or the podcast edit. Like when Ryan starts referring to himself in the third person in the midst of one of his self aggrandizing lies. Ryan is the cover boy for Art of Manliness. Join us live at youtube.com slash assembly call. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. So, guys, I have to say I wasn't on the uh, the Penn State postgame show. Uh, you both did a great job with it, as I knew that you would, as you always do uh, when I'm not there. Um, and so I didn't get a chance to watch the game live, but certainly caught up on it, you know, have watched it since and, and kind of dug into it. And, you know, it was interesting not watching the game, but kind of seeing the reaction and seeing what people said about Clifton Moore, you know, and the and the the kind of spark that he gave for the seven minutes he was in there in the first half, and so I was really excited to you know to watch it and see how he played because obviously we've been you know curious to see what he would do uh, with more time, and it's been a big narrative since that game. You know, people really impressed talking about you know maybe it's time now to give him some more time. You know, will he start playing more? Should he get you know Justin Smith's minutes? You know, in, until Justin's ready to go, why hasn't he been playing more this season? We well, must have gotten like ten or eleven questions about that before this show, and that. That's kind of a, a composite question that pulls them all together. So I want to break this down. Um, and, you know, just to remind people of the overview, when Clifton came in, it was at the 640 mark in the first half. Indiana was down 1918. He played the rest of the first half. Uh, Juwan had a couple of fouls. Duran had a couple of fouls. I think Justin may have too. And Indiana went on a 1611 run. They led 34 to 30 at the half. And Clifton made some really good plays. Like, I, I think. You know, one takeaway is that he made some good plays that showed that in a pinch, he can contribute and do some things, right? He ran the floor and had that great tip in on Romeo's miss three. He hustled his way into a steal, even though, you know, the opportunity was created because he was originally out of position trying to help on the perimeter. But he did recover, hustled his way to a steal, had a great block shot when he came over helping from the weak side, altered another shot by Josh Reeves. And he, you know, really hustled after that Al Durham free throw and tipped it off the Penn State player, which gave Indiana that possession back. So he did some positive things, but I went back and I watched every single possession focusing just on him. And, you know, I'll get into the specifics here in a minute, but I think what it showed me was things that he still needs to work on and probably the reasons, Ryan, why Archie hasn't quite been ready to trust him and play him. And, and you know, the main things are just being consistently out of position defensively. And, you know, not being aware, like when he got, you know, the back screen of Mike Watkins get the e gets the easy dunk. He messed up a couple of ball screen coverages. And, and, and so that was an issue. And more actually important than that, and I didn't expect this, was offensively. You know, Indiana scored okay while he was out there, but it's because Romeo hit a lot of high-difficulty shots. And part of the reason he had to take a lot of those step-back jumpers is he couldn't get into the lane because Clifton was kind of anchored to the block. And, and it hurt Indiana's spacing. And so that... So to, to me, again, I think Clifton showed some really good things that showed that he can make a few plays when you need to put him in there in the pinch. But looking at it a lot more closely, some of the subtleties, to me, I'm not ready to say now that he's ready to start getting a lot more minutes. And I think it makes a little bit more sense maybe why Archie has been loath to put him out there just because of some of those things that are not yet at the trustworthy stage in a Big Ten game. You know, I'll, I'll say this. I think that... Uh... 
I think that the only way Clifton's going to get better is to see the floor. I mean, some guys just don't improve only from practicing. And and so getting those seven minutes, I'd really like to see him continue to get minutes, but not 20 minutes a game. I'd like to see him get some minutes to contribute. Look, his size, you can't teach. And he's, 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 a, he's a really big guy who, quite frankly, IU doesn't really have that straight up length in a guy who is as physically gifted as he is. You know, I mean, let's face it, Evan Fitzner's tall, but he's not strong and he he isn't really a threat defensively. Moore did not play very well defensively, but I think that you can build on that and and build on the the athleticism and the size that he possesses. Uh, offensively going forward, as I said, uh in the Penn State game, I thought when he was moving forward, he looked good. And I thought that, yeah, he's not going to be in the right position every single time. It's the first time on the floor, really, in a Big Ten game where they're counting on him. And I think that, quite frankly, his performance was to be expected. I thought there were some positives and there's stuff to build on there. Of course, yeah, he's not perfect. He's, he's I mean, he's essentially a freshman because he barely played last year and he needs to get time to get better. Uh, but I was encouraged by the fact that Archie threw him out there. And and because we've frankly, it seems like we've seen just Jake Forrester more than Clifton and to see Clifton go out there and actually not look, com- he didn't look completely out of place. He made some bad. Reads I mean, like on, on some of the, on some of the, I on some of them he did. Too, I disagree with you. I, I'm not saying he looked great. I mean, I'm he, just- there was one play. He literally went and like double teamed to Al Durham's man on the perimeter when there was like no, like there, there are, there, there were some where he did look out of place. Now, not everything. And he still no, he recovered I just mean, some. I just mean- he didn't stand out as like that guy does not belong on the floor. What I what I agree that he made some bad reads and made some bad decisions. Okay. But I, I don't think it was like, okay, yeah, no, get him out of the game. No, it was better than last year when at times last year he did look like kind of a fish out of water. Yes. And, and, and he, he didn't quite look like that. Um but still there were bad moments. I yeah. I agree. I agree. And and you know, look. I'm sure the adrenaline was going nuts. He's playing in his home state. He had a, they said on the broadcast he had a lot of family and friends there and all that stuff. He needs to settle in. And there's a couple games going up where hopefully he can get some minutes and and maybe settle in a little, uh, especially with the struggles of Justin Smith. Now, look, Justin Smith played well defensively, and I know the offense is awful right now, but he played well defensively and grabbed rebounds. But if Justin Smith is really, really, really struggling, maybe you do put in another guy. If you know, if, if, if there's nothing it can hurt from having Clifton Moore play a little bit in some of the games coming up, particularly if a guy like Deron Davis's recovery is as slow as it has been and he can't play as much and he's fouling guys and, you know, you're having issues. You need to be able to have that go to from somebody off the bench. And I would like to see him get some more minutes and see if there is something there. If there isn't, there isn't. But, you know, we don't know yet. Because we've only got seven minutes. All right, Andy wants us both to shut up so he can come in and say the thing that people will actually respect and listen to. I I don't know. I, just, I I'll I'll do my best. Uh, you know, I think there were enough. The biggest thing that he brought to me was energy, and and at a time when he did bring energy, it was kind of a, a slog in that part of the game. I did think he brought energy and made hustle plays. Uh, in some cases, as you said, the result of you know kind of needing to hustle for a reason other than. You know, hustling by itself, but I mean, you talked about how important that basket was at the end of the first half that Fennessey made. That doesn't happen if he doesn't really go after that free throw. So, I think when you look at it that way, and so you, you try to figure out, like, you know, what's, you know, is there another guy from from IU that you can think of that could, you know, kind of give that? I think a little bit. That's what 
Freddie McSwain like kind of started out as uh, a year ago. Now, certainly they're not the same athletically. They're, you know, different basketball backgrounds, all those kinds of things. But the one thing that McSwain brought like before he really carved out an even bigger role for himself last year was he was going to go out. He was going to play really hard and and kind of figure things out. And there were times with him that he, he wasn't probably in the greatest position. Um, but they worked with him to a point where by the end of the season, you know, he was playing somewhat out of necessity, big minutes, but was playing, was kind of getting the most out of what he had. Um, so I guess I would say I saw enough from Clifton to say, I'd like to see more. Um, but I don't think it's a switch that you flip and say, all of a sudden he's getting a ton of minutes, which I think is, you know, a conclusion that some people have jumped to. Um, but it's enough to say that it's intriguing what he might be able to do if given extra time. And, you know, as Ryan said, I think it's one of those cases where it's like, you know, what, what, how would they have had any idea of what to expect from him in that scenario based on when he had seen action in other games? Uh, and I think he looked like a guy who had played very few meaningful minutes over the course of his college career. And it's really just becomes a matter of how quickly he can kind of figure things out, particularly on the defensive end. Um, but if there's things that you want to nitpick with him, it's certainly on the defensive end. And it's easy to draw the conclusion that would say, if he doesn't have things figured out on that end, he isn't necessarily a guy that's going to play. And on a team that isn't playing a ton of different big guys and doesn't want to seem to play too many you know, traditional bigs at the same time, you can also kind of see why he is where he is in the pecking order of, of that type of player when you've got you know Deron Davis and Evan Fitz. Yeah. Well, let's remember, too, that he was a guy who people talked about as being a almost like a really big stretch four coming out of high school. So I don't think he is a traditional big man. Maybe that's what they're trying to make him into. But the talent is certainly there. There's no question about that. It's about developing it. And, and it's about finding a role for him in this offense that maybe doesn't exist right now uh, as kind of a stretch four. But we're seeing Fitzner out on the perimeter more. And, you know, things like that that we didn't see from big guys last year. So maybe there is kind of a role for him developing. But again, he's got to develop. He's got to do his part of the job and develop and become, you know, more knowledgeable on offense and better, better, more focused on defense. Yeah, it's interesting because we did hear about, you know, his ability to face the basket. And that's why I'm kind of surprised seeing that when he's in there, he kind of anchors himself to the block posting up. And, you know, none of the guys are, are dribbling into position to try and get him a look down low. And so I think part of the issue is, you know, you could alleviate some of those problems by maybe putting him in a different role offensively. And you saw it during the final few minutes of the first half. They pulled him away from the block and had him set a lot of ball screens so that now he's away from the basket. It opened up. That's what he did on the play Rob Finnessy had. So the lane is pick open. And roll, pick and pop would be the role I would do. Yeah. You know, now, now, right now, his defender doesn't respect him enough that if he's popping or rolling, they're not even paying attention to him. So Watkins was just dropping back. You know, if he starts to show some more, they will. But that would be one adjustment that I would make because it really clogged up the offense. And when they pulled him away from the basket, then it gave some more freedom for, you know, for Rob to get in there and some of those other guys. Um, so that would be one thing that I would do. And defensively, you know, he's probably going to keep struggling in ball screens. You're just going to have to be ready to help. But he he is he does have some awareness to come over and help and get blocked shots and alter shots. And we saw him do that three or four times. So he can at least help to make up for some of his defensive shortcomings by just being a rim protector. And sometimes you just need a guy down there who can do that and alter a shot, you know, when you get beat. So, Andy, sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, no, I was going to say a little uh, uh, something similar to what you did. I, I felt like they did put him in some of those ball screens, but he was – it just didn't really seem to be like in sync with where he was when the the dribbler was trying to come toward him. And I think part of that is just familiarity. Yeah. Like he didn't look, you know, for all that, you know, being, you know, 
down on the block. He also didn't necessarily look comfortable out on the court either, even when he had the ball a couple times and he kind of, I felt like he was just looking to get rid of it. But I think so much of that is just a guy who hasn't played in that, in minutes that mattered um, as much as anything. And I do think, you know, some of the rim protection and, and things like that were good. You know, the play that he got, the the Watkins lob, it's like you, you don't really need to be out that far on Watkins in the first place. And yeah. I thought, you know, the inside the hall, like film, uh, you know, film study this week was, was all about him. And it did, it kind of does a good job of highlighting some of the positives and negatives that, um, that he had and that we've talked about. And, uh, and like I said, it, it was enough to be intrigued to see more and maybe you start to be able to form a little more well-rounded opinion if he's able to find himself in, in similar situations going forward. Good vibes around Clifton Moore. I have this drop here labeled Good Vibes Clifton Moore, and I wasn't sure what it was. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm so glad of course, it's just on the air. Then just, then just, absolutely. Well, yeah. it's one of Andy's drops, so it's probably not going to be controversial. Pretty, if I don't know, if I don't know something you said, it. then I'm, I'm a little more worried about it. Um, so see, Ryan, that, was, that wasn't so bad, was it? I think that was... We were, I think we were pretty fair in that in that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you could watch that game and be like, Clifton Moore should never leave the bench. I, I think that you look at it as, okay, there were some positives. There were some negatives. He's got to improve. No one's saying he's a finished product. Uh, but people, uh, you know, I, I lo- IU fans want to have the shiny new toy. And so they're kind of like, well, what about him playing 20 minutes a game? It's like, what? Like, no. It, yeah. nowhere near that but I, I get it you recruited these guys you followed their recruitment they were you know you got really excited about them and then they come and they don't play for a while that's kind of the nature of college basketball unless you're a five-star is they're going to kind of slowly bring you along and yeah. he's a guy that had a lot of developing to do and still does all right so coming up here we continue our conversation kind of in this vein and talk about playing time because if clifton's going to play more where do those minutes come from should archie stick with guys like justin and Devonte while they figure things out we'll talk about that next here on the assembly call stick with us Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Remember that if you are a serious IU Hoops fan, you need to be subscribed to our free IU Basketball email newsletter, especially now that the season has started and we are sending our in-depth post-game analysis emails the morning after every game. There's a high-level operation going on out there. And joining is easy. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses. Can we get some basketball, please? All right, let's get back to talking some basketball, guys. So we just, you know, talked about Clifton Moore and and some of what we saw in the Penn State game. You know, and I've seen a lot of people, you know, talking about he needs more minutes and why aren't we getting, you know, Jake Forrester out there and Demizi was playing earlier in the season. Why isn't he playing now? And people also contrasting that with the struggles of Justin Smith and Devontae Green. Um, and not necessarily saying that, you know, you should put Jake Forrester in for Justin Smith, but I'm seeing a lot of, well, you know, bench these guys, sit these guys down. And so I guess what I want to kind of explore a little bit and Andy, I'll, you know, start with you is, you know, you take a guy like Clifton or a guy like Demise or Jake, who clearly are inexperienced, need to work through some things, especially now that you're into, you know, Big Ten play has started. You've got, you know, you, you only have a couple games left against, you know, kind of sub 300 opponents. Every game kind of matters now and every minute matters. Where do you draw the line between these guys need some time? Let's maybe get them out there and work on some things. And we got to win this game right now. You know, because it's, 
and and there obviously is no perfect answer to that. But how do you how do you kind of look at that from Archie's perspective? I, you know, I think he's in a situation at this point where, and I, I'd say this is about any coach, but you know, you saw progress last year. Now you want to see additional progress and you want to see wins. I mean, ultimately his responsibility is to, to win basketball games. And yeah, there's a lot of other things along with that in terms of, uh, you know, work in the classroom and, and developing and, and shepherding the program. But the reality is he he's getting paid predominantly to win basketball games. And so he has to play the guys who he thinks give him the best chance to do that in that given game. And so you saw early in the season, Demise played partly out of necessity because you had all the injuries that were there and Clifton and Jake did not because, you know, as best we could tell and our answer, you know, pretty much throughout was he doesn't think based on what he's seen in practice, they're able to help this team win games. And so, uh, you know, it, it, a little bit like what the situation that presented itself for Clifton, that was really born more out of foul trouble potentially than really trying to say, Hey, I'm going to give him minutes. Um, and so he did that. And and again, I think in doing so, you know, earned some potential for other, other time. But to me, it's trying to figure out over the course of this season, what's going to win you games. Um, I think if you, you know, in an ideal situation, have a good enough relationship with the players who aren't playing that there's clear communication as to, Hey, this is what you need to do to get on the floor. If you're not doing that, here's kind of where you stand. I mean, that's no different than there or an office job of providing feedback and letting people know, here's where you stand, here's why, here's what you need to do to get better. Um, and if they're doing those things, you, you see some change. And if they're they're not, you won't. So I think that the communication component of that becomes as important as everything. And he talked about that a lot coming into the year, that guys are going to need to sacrifice things and, and figure that out. So, you know, to me, I think his responsibility is to win and not necessarily try to get things prepared for on down the line you know, too much this season, uh, as opposed to trying to, you know, in the moment, figure out what's the, what gives them the best chance, given the matchups, given the situation, given everything else. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, it's, I mean, it's tough once the season starts to really, uh, once, you know, once we get to this point of the season, I would say, and, and one, especially once conference season starts, but guess what? Injuries happen, guys get in foul trouble. There's going to be chances for, for guys to get in, on the floor. It's about carving out the time on the floor in practice and making sure they're doing all the right things and putting in the right effort to earn that playing time. And if guys aren't getting in to games and there's an obvious need for a guy like that on the floor, it tells you something. And I'm not saying that's that, that applies necessarily to Clifton Moore or Jake Forrester, Demise or whatever, but if there's a clear necessity for a player at those position at those positions and they're not getting on the floor, it tells you the coaches don't think they're ready. Uh, like, like what was it, the UC Davis game where we you know, finished the game with just five guys and he was not yeah, going to sub I mean, anybody else in? I mean, let's face it. The coaches want to win as much as anybody else. They'll put in anybody they think will help them win. And so they clearly in that game thought that the five they were going with were a better option than using the bench. And we can sit here and analyze it as much as we want, but the coaches know the team better than we do. And they know what's going on in practice and they know all of, you know, they know these kids personalities, they know everything. And so it's really, they're the, they're the ones to make that decision. And if they're making certain decisions, there's almost certainly a reason why. The coaches, the coaches know the team better than the fans. Hey, you know what? Fan, some fans don't believe that. So <laughs> always going to repeat it. We are breaking some news here. <laughs> I, I mean, in all honesty though, I mean, go back to, go back to last season. I, I think you saw that. Again, I'm going to throw out McSwain again. 
you know, here's a guy who come, you know, Archie comes in first year in the program. Freddie McSwain is a senior. There's really getting getting him to play and building him up the way that they did paid no dividends really for Archie for the future of his coaching tenure. But they played him and expanded his role and did that because it gave them the best chance to win. McRoberts, same thing. Not a scholarship guy. You know, you could have done a whole bunch of things to to say, hey, I need to give these guys time to keep these guys happy to do whatever. He played him because he thought he gave him the best chance to win. And with last year's team, that was true. Um, you know, it's been hard to kind of figure out what exactly his role looks like this year because he's been injured so much and still kind of working his way back. But in general, I mean, I don't think you have to look back very far with Archie that, you know, he's going to play the guys regardless of what the kind of future payoff of it really is, you know, in, in year two, three, whatever. Yeah. You're not taking for draft picks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's no point to losing. So, uh, you know, intentionally or anything. So yeah, he's going to put the best guys out. You're listening to the assembly call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and Andy bottoms. So let me ask you this, Andy, you know, take, take guys like Justin Smith and Devonte green. Like these are clear guys who are in the rotation. They're going to be in the rotation. They're very important pieces. You know, this Indiana team isn't competing for a top four or five spot in the big 10 without getting positive contributions from them. And they've done some good things. Devonte was huge in the first half against Penn state. And then in the second half, you know, through some just head slappingly bad turnovers. And we've obviously seen him oscillate between those two poles before. And Justin Smith, you know, has really struggled to find a rhythm offensively. He was better defensively, you know, did a nice job taking on that challenge of guarding Lamar Stevens. But those guys have been so up and down. And, 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 and you know, so what do you do with them? Because it's really easy to say, I just stick them on the bench. And Archie has. I mean, he's pulled both of those guys for mistakes, like right after the mistakes. And, I mean, Justin has spent, I think, entire halves on the bench. Was it the Arkansas game? You know, he made the mistake and got blocked by Daniel Gafford. He sat the rest of the game. So, but you also know how important these guys are, so you can't just write them off. And it's like, all right, well, you know, we're just not going to play you anymore. So where do you kind of draw that line and, and, and how much patience do you have with guys like that, knowing that as the season goes along, like you need them to become their best selves, even if they don't look anything close to that right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why he gets gets paid a lot more than we do to talk about it. I think you got to you know figure out what buttons to push and what works for each guy because I think that's literally what uh, you know becomes challenging. Yeah, you know, we've speculated on the on the show about you know Justin being you know kind of more I don't know cerebral or whatever you want to say you know kind of getting in his own head a little bit about some of those kinds of things. I, I think the unique thing about both those players, well, I guess there's two things about both those guys. One, you've seen them do it. You know that they can come up big in big moments. I, you think back to that Minnesota game last year, Justin Smith plays great, played really well against Ohio State at the end of the season. Devontae, you know, had those had those couple great games. So you know that it's there. Um, I think that's the part that becomes harder versus a guy like, you know, Clifton, who you haven't seen in any anything resembling a really you know tight game scenario you've seen those guys do it so you know that it's in there you're not you got to figure out how to bring it out but you're not trying to answer the question of can they do it you know the answer to that is yes um it's a matter of how you get them to to be able to and and both those guys the, the other point that i would make is there really aren't obvious other places to turn for either one of those guys, you know, I think I brought this up about Justin on one of the other games. There's really not, if Jerome Hunter's healthy, maybe, you know, you'd say him, if, if race Thompson is healthy, maybe you'd say him, but there's not really another guy like Justin that allows them to, to do the things that they want to do with him playing the four. Um, and, and Devante kind of the same way. I mean, there's not really another, 
point guard on the team necessarily. I think Al can do that in in spurts, but I don't know that that's the role he's best suited for because he's played so well lately in a different role. So I think that becomes hard is that there's not, you could say I want to take those guys out, but you're, you're not, it's not really a like for like swap when you get into it at that point. And I think that, you know, kind of makes those kinds of decisions that much more difficult given this specific team's roster and, and component pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Devonte, you've just got to live with some of the mistakes. I mean, that's just who he is. And hopefully he cleans it up as he plays more. Remember he's still just coming back from injury as well. So uh, maybe it'll be a little better. I was encouraged by the Penn state game until that stretch of four minutes where he had four turnovers. Now, We've seen that from Devontae before. Uh, we'll probably see it again, but the key for him is just cutting those out so it's not every game that happens, but every other game, and then every third game, and then every fourth game, and and just kind of slowly moving that. But I thought that the thing he brings that so few guys on this roster can do is just he can make plays for other people. I mean, that that assist where he drove into the lane and gave it up to Jawan, I mean, that was perfect. That was exactly what you want. You want to be such a threat when you're driving that other people have to react to you. And really, other than Romeo Langford, we don't have a guy that other teams are swarming to when he drives. Devontae Green, I don't know it, what it is about the way he moves or whatever, but people just they gravitate towards him defensively, and that leaves other guys open. As long as he's not forcing shots and he's finding the open guys, he can do really well in that role. Uh, the key is just to stop turning the ball over. And uh, for Justin, I think, A, he's got to cut down on the turnovers, and B, he just has to be simple or just has to simplify everything offensively right now he's taking a couple jump shots in the last few games and that's not how he's going to get his offense going he can make jump shots but that's not how he's going to get his offense going he's going to get his offense going in the post cutting back door doing things like that and and uh i think that that's just the way he's going to get going and, and he's got to focus on that and then focus on defense and rebounding if he can do those things i think we'll start to see him come back We've run a couple of nice plays uh, with back cuts to get guards, uh, some open looks going toward the basket. I'd like to see us do something like that for Justin, maybe early in the Louisville game, try and get him an oop or something going to the basket to get him going, get the crowd going. It feels like maybe something like that would help him just get going early in a game, you know, to have something positive go go offensively. Because you know, when you have Romeo and you have Juwan, you're not going to run a lot of stuff for Justin maybe now you try and do it a little bit just to get him going, you know, a couple times, whatever, whatever that is, whatever he's comfortable with. Um, you know, anything else on that, uh, on that topic? No, I think there is just, you gotta be patient. It's December. You know, I, yeah. I keep reminding people, it's like, I know we're playing consequential games because it's Duke and then it's, you know, uh, two conference games and then it's Louisville and Butler, but it's still early. And, and this team is still trying to figure out who it is. Yeah. And maybe, try not to focus so much on the negatives like maybe just try and balance it you know and for every time you're going to go on twitter and just rip a guy for a turnover maybe mention the big three-pointer that they made or the nice defensive possession that they had you know like try and Devontae's be a little... two two threes against penn state were huge yeah i mean okay. both both of those guys have made plays you know i think the problem with it is the mistake you know because they're they're turning it over their mistakes are so obvious, so they stand out. But especially with Justin, some of the positive things he's doing are more subtle. You know, it's it's more on the defensive end and, you know, maybe preventing his man from getting the ball or forcing a tough shot. It doesn't always jump out. So it's a little bit harder to notice. And, you know, when you have turnovers, those are easy things to get mad about. But it's just, you know, it's try, try and have a spirit of support with these guys, especially when we're commenting on them publicly. 
Um, okay. I felt like we had an amazing conversation on all levels. Thank you for that, Coach. All right, uh, coming up here in our final segment, we're going to answer your questions, including what former IU player is the best player comp for Ryan as a player? Uh, and also we'll talk a little bit more about Zach McRoberts' role moving forward and more. That's next. Stick with us. You are listening to the Assembly Call. We are wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. I am Jared Morrison here with Andy Bottoms and Brian Phillips. And it is that time in the show where we answer your questions. We got a bunch of questions in uh, to our private IU basketball community over on Mighty Networks. If you go to assemblycall.com slash community, you can join us, uh, join up with us there anytime. Tons and tons of good conversation there throughout the week, especially on game days. So we'd love to have you join us in there. Uh, one of the questions that we got this week, Ryan, we'll go directly to you for this one. Uh, this is from Alex. Uh, being that this is Ryan's uh, first Thursday show after coming back. Oh, this might have been for a couple weeks ago. Um, but he mentions how you love player comps, which we know that you do. I hate yep. player comps. Which current or former IU player would you say that your style of play is most similar to? We've established that you're the Will Sheehy of this show, but that's for your behind the mic work i wish i'd been half as athletic as will she he quite frankly oh, uh, so briefly briefly as you get into this briefly describe yeah. uh, your game for us so that we might be able to also offer suggestions i yes. was a defense first guy mm. um i'm i'm six three i'm i was mildly athletic i was very skinny back in the day i was like 170 in high school 165 something like that um decently athletic uh i had a lethal jumper very and, white, uh, very, very, very white. Uh, but I was a, I was a defender. I think I was a def- defender first, and I could, I could hit a jumper. Defender first, and you could hit a jumper. I, I know who my comp would be if he was a better shooter. Okay, right. well, let's well, hear it. What's for you? So this Zach McRoberts. If he was a better shooter, yeah, because I was a base. I would, I was lethal from b- the baseline jumper. I would, uh, I would get points with that every game. Just I would because I was so you know, Zach McRoberts is shooting like 40% as a three point shooter in major college basketball right. the last two years. Well, back then we didn't shoot threes as much. I mean, we weren't like it just wasn't part of the game. It was a lot of driving kick, but kick to like 15 feet. And um, so, yeah, I would what would happen is somebody would drive and I'd be on the block. And I mean, I wasn't a center, but I would start down there and I would just like fade out to like short corner kind of and just lethal knock it down every time. That's just. Where Will Sheehy did a lot of work there too. He did, but I'm nowhere near as athletic as Will Sheehy no. was. We got also he he also had no conscience, and I would I would I would make sure I was open if I was going to shoot. I was mm-hmm. not a I was not just a guy who was just going to fire threes for no reason. Okay, I mean I find that a little hard to believe, but we'll we'll take your <laughs> yeah. word. For it. Yeah. Not in high school, at least. If we're gonna if we're gonna go later on in life, I. His, his shot selection was a little bit more judicious than his uh, speaking selection when he's on the show, apparently. Because kidding fair, me? Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So speaking of Zach McRoberts, that's a good segue uh, from Chris and, and Andy. You know, we touched on this a little bit, but what do you see as McRoberts' role moving forward? You know, as Chris says, coming back from injuries and back issues are tough. And I've seen other people talk about how you know it seems like he's not quite having the same impact as last year. You know, defense not quite as on point, struggling a little bit with turnovers. Um, obviously made the huge play against Northwestern, um, but I, I would echo a little bit of that. You know, he doesn't seem all the way back, and again, you know, probably to be expected a little bit with the with the back issue. But you know, assuming that he gets back to being Zach McRoberts, what do you see as his role 
moving forward? I guess I have, if you think about where he was at the beginning of the season to who's, you know, essentially taking his spot in the starting lineup now is Al Durham. And so I think what you've seen from Al lately would, I think it's hard to take him out of the starting lineup based on what he's done. I think he provides certainly, you know, more of an offensive threat. He shot the ball uh, really well. His, his three-point shot has improved. And and he's really, you know, taking the ball to the basket. So I think if you if you think about what people would, you know, view as negatives for Zach when he was on the court, it was he didn't look at the basket enough, um, was was less willing to take shots and open shots and than you might like him to be. And I think Al has, you know, while probably not quite as good of a defender, I think is a is a very good defender and has the length to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a pesky defender on the wing in the same way. He provides, at least at this point, more of an offensive threat. So I think McRoberts, you know, may may or may not work his way back into the starting lineup, but I do think he can be a valuable guy to come off the bench and provide some energy minutes and things like that. I think you just get to a point where a little bit similar, you know, the good thing is last year's team, you had a lot of combinations that would have multiple guys who weren't super offensive threats out there. Uh, I think this year's team, you, you have a little bit less of that as you, you know, you kind of figure out who to pair him with. So I think he's still going to be important for the team, but I, I also don't know that I see him um, getting his way back into the starting lineup without injury or Al's play really falling off, which in a lot of ways is just a testament to how well Al has played of late. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. It's not like he's getting it by default. Like he's got it, but he'll keep it because he's really earned it and he's playing well, shooting well, doing a lot of good things. Uh, Ryan, let's, we'll probably end with this one. This is from coach, uh, who couldn't be here tonight, but really good question from him. Philosophy question that coaches have different opinions on. Do you design your offense to get maximum shots for the best player? Or do you have an offense that allows for others to find their shots and the star player gets his in the flow of the game is, you know, pros and cons of each, uh, interested to know what we think. He said he used to be in favor of one, but now has kind of changed some as a coach. I think that you've got to design your offense so that anybody can insert themselves into what you're into any position and get their shots. Like, I, I think that, you know, if you design it specifically for your best player to get shots, what happens if he gets in foul trouble? Your offense is lost. Uh, I think you have to have interchangeable parts, and I think that you have to build the offense to work for everybody. But within that, if your best player is really that good, he's going to get his anyway, and, and he's going to find his way because, of course, there will be situations where he's going to have a shot. So I think you really have to have a balance because – if it's just about one guy and you're just built around one guy and your offense is built around one guy and he goes out and you, you're having to force somebody into his role and to get those shots. And it doesn't always work, especially if you build your entire team for a season around a guy, what happens if he gets injured? You know, I, I just think that you should try and make sure that your guys all get into the flow of the offense because your best players are going to rise to the occasion and are going to wind up getting theirs in the, that offense as well. But you do you do want to make sure that your best players are getting the highest percentage of the shot. So you're saying that that'll kind of happen naturally just I because so. of... Yeah, if you look at what the Warriors do and the Warriors have all those stars, what they do is they just move the ball. I mean, you know, if you move the ball, everybody's going to touch it and, it and and eventually everybody's going to get their touches and their shots. And and I think that's the, the, that's the model everybody should strive for is that just to move the ball and make sure everybody gets touches. And within that, everybody, your stars are included in that everybody and they're going to have their opportunities. What do you think, Andy? We got about 40 seconds left. Oh, well, that should be plenty of time then. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I think you got to, you know, find ways to make sure that you're, you know, getting the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Sure. And you see how you do that with Juwan Morgan, where he's not bringing the ball up the court, um, but they're getting him the ball a lot in the post and letting him make good 
decisions. And those decisions are made within the flow of the offense that sometimes are going to be him getting a shot. Sometimes they're going to be creating opportunities for others. So I think, you know, kind of what they're doing now is playing through those guys, but not necessarily playing through them in a way that is designed to make sure that they get a certain number of shots and you, and you kind of trust the guys who are your better players and your better decision makers. Yeah, right, they're, not forcing, they're not forcing it. Real quick, pick for Saturday. You think Indiana beats Louisville? Ryan? Yes. Andy, you yep, bullish on the Hoosiers' chances against Louisville? I think they do. I don't think the home environment's a, a big deal in that one. Yeah, I think so too. Alrighty, uh, that is going to do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, chat mobbers. join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk with you Saturday after IU Louisville for the postgame show. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.